Hello, and welcome to Days of Learning Podcast. It's so good to be here. I'm your host, David Nelson, and I am thrilled to have three outstanding individuals from Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Today with us on the podcast, we have Bridget Clemente, the Vice President for Community Health. We have Ms. Siobhan King, a Community Health Navigator. And we have Ms. Bianca Cisneros, the a Community Engagement Team Lead. And I hope I got that right, ladies. And I, I think that I, I was like, oh, I looked at my notes and to make sure that I had that right. But I, I didn't see anybody do a double take, so I must have gotten it right. I'm so glad that you all could join me today. I know your schedules are super busy. We had to set this up a little bit in advance. And I'm looking forward to having this conversation today. You know, I start this question with all of my guests. And it is, I want you to tell the audience and tell our listeners how you came to the position you are in currently. And Bridget, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us how you came to the position that you're in currently? Absolutely. So thanks, David. And on behalf of our team, thanks so much for uh, wanting to um, hear our story and giving us the opportunity to join you today. We really appreciate it. Uh, so um, my story is relatively simple because I have spent a long time and a lot of my career at Children's. I have actually been a part of Children's for a little more than 20 years at this point. Um, but if you would have asked me back when I was younger or even going through school and um, asked me if I would be working for a hospital, I would have said, no way, I have no interest in working for a hospital hospitals are full of sick people. I'm not a good caregiver. It is not what um, I am meant to do. And as I continued through and understood really what health was all about, hospitals play a really significant role in the health of the community, the health of individuals, and the overall, overall well-being. And so it became a little bit more appealing to think that I really could work for an area in our community that was focused on prevention and was deeply concerned about the health and well-being of individuals and families and community. And so I really started my career in the nonprofit sector. I first worked for an organization that's now known as um, a YMCA. And then I transitioned to the American Heart Association, still really focused on prevention and um, a little bit of fundraising in that, in that capacity as well. And then first joined Children's in a part-time role. I was a coordinator that was focused on coalition building around injury prevention and uh, really got an opportunity to think bigger and broader with the leadership and, and um, overall spirit that Children's really has about the health and well-being of kids in our community. At that point in time, Children's was really dedicated and still is to preventing injuries. So our team grew, my role grew, but it really was in about 2010, shortly after Troy joined us as our CEO, where I had the opportunity to do something transformative. We had the opportunity to look at our community in a very meaningful way. Um, the community that we were a part of as employees, as um, community members and as residents and the community that we really cared about. And we saw something very concerning. We saw health disparities at rates that in some cases were worse than other rates in the nation. So we had the opportunity to do something different. And about that time, we um, launched our community engagement work. And by that, I don't mean we had a significant grant that we went into the community and we delivered programs. I don't mean that we were there to research and to find out what it was that those disparities were really all about. But what I mean is that we sat next to community with community in conversations. We listened, we learned, and frankly, we loved. And we wanted to really acknowledge that there was something more and better that we could do as partners. And so we identified partner neighborhoods. We looked to better understand what the priorities of those partner neighborhoods were. And we engaged residents in really leading us to what was important rather than us as a health system leading them to what we believed was a priority. 
So it was an exciting transformation in my time at Children's and I really feel so privileged to have been an integral part of that group that um, started that work. And now 10 years later, I serve in a role that gives me the opportunity to work closely with colleagues like Bianca and Siobhan and many others that serve our city of Milwaukee, the county, and even programs and services that reach across the state of Wisconsin, all with the understanding and spirit of really making a positive impact for kids and families and improving health and well-being. You know, you said some really important words, Bridget, and, and you started with the idea of, boy, it's it, community is, is embedded in your background, which I think is, is just fascinating. And, and frankly, I think you're a better caregiver than you give yourself credit for, maybe. Um, well, ask my husband. He would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of disparities that exist, we need to recognize that. But you said some very important words that we highlight in community engagement, the idea of sitting with community, partnership, engagement. And frankly, for a system like a large system like children's can be hard at times. But when you lead with that and you lead with people that lead with that, you can't help but develop those trusting relationships that happen over time. Siobhan, I want to yeah. bring I want to bring you in because you know I could see your body language. Uh, you were like, yep, 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 got that. That's what we do. Can you pick it up from where Bridget left off? Tell us about how you got to this place in your journey and how your work at Children's fits into with what Bridget is saying there. Um, my journey actually uh, started uh, with uh, in the school district. So I'm uh, previously coming from uh, working in a school district in Milwaukee for approximately 11 years. And I started out uh, volunteering in the classroom, then actually applying and then just uh, weaving my way um, into positions that really supported uh, parent engagement. And so one of the focuses was, uh, well, before we talk about increasing parent engagement, what are some of the barriers? And when I started helping families and supporting them, there were all these social determinants that were actual barriers um, that weren't being served or met to actually increase that. And so the more I began to work with families, they, there were shortages. They were more open in building those relationships in regards to, well, I, I need help with housing, I'm homeless, food. Of course, there's the social workers in the school that assist with that, but sometimes family, sometimes we can have a more, uh, a bond with the families as well that they feel more trusting. Right, because um, maybe the experiences that they've had with people in the school, whether it's the social worker or the principal. And so that's where it really started at really um, doing more as far as parent involvement, really connecting those families to community supports. And it just kind of evolved from there. Um, and this is how I wound up at Children's. Before I came to Children's, I said, I really want to do more hands-on. I kept telling myself, more hands-on because uh, the longer I stayed in the district, there came promotion, but it was less contact with families. And that was something that I was missing. Um, and so I went for it, applied for the position, was able to get it. And this is the heart and soul and the passion of what I love to do. And that is not just connecting families with community supports, but educating them as well. It really speaks to the idea of, we have a term called bi-directionality, the idea of working back and forth in an engaging and trusting manner. And I love my social work colleagues, um, but frankly, it, it can be a little bit um, at distance at times because of, of the the level of, of things that they need to do. And, and sometimes there's not time to be to do that hands-on work. So having individuals like yourself to do that hands work is crucial to this idea of parent engagement. Bianca, I was watching you out of the corner of my eye as Chiffon was speaking. 
and I couldn't help but notice that you you kind of sat up taller and you had some you had pride in your face, right? You you had a smile. So you were you're in agreement with what Shafan is saying there. Could you talk about your story and some of that the, the, what we were seeing in, in, in your pride? I'm going to have you hold for a second because you were not, uh, you were on, you're talking, but you weren't coming through. Can you see if you're on mute? You're right. I was on mute. There you go. <laughs> so, yes, I was saying that I 100% agree with you, Son, and I do recognize some common elements that, that we have together um, in our beliefs. So, for myself, I, I think it all started about maybe 10 years ago when I first arrived to the country. Um, I arrived um, recognizing that this is going to be my home, but I didn't know it uh, at all at the time. I didn't know the community. I didn't know the people. So the first thing that came to my mind is, okay, I, I need to know, I need to get to know this place. So I started um, volunteering. Uh, when I get all my paperwork done, I, I wanted to, to get a, um, a head start. So I started volunteering um, with this healthy living program for families. Uh, they will work with uh, the whole family, you know, from, from the adults to the children, and they will discuss healthy living as in nutrition, exercising, and kind of little changes that a person can do that can generate um, a bigger change for the whole family. And I found that um, I loved it. I love working with the families. And from then on, um, I started looking for more opportunities to, to do that professionally until um, a few years later, I, I learned through a friend of, of the position for the navigator program. And once I got there, I said, yes, this this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was looking for, these uh, deeper connections with, with families, this um, deeper bond and, and the opportunity to, to make a difference. So, so that's what it meant for me. And it's so, if I would have known this 10, 15 years ago, I, 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 I wouldn't have believed it. My background is totally different. I was working for an advertising agency, public relations, nothing to do with what I'm doing right now, but um, things happen for a reason. Strongly believe that. Well, I think that there's something to be that things happen for a reason. And there's these things that, that I call, we call a calling, if you will. I want to go back with you, Bianca, because I'm a, I'm a born and bred mutt from the US, Europeans, European background. I'd really like to hear origin stories, and especially about immigration stories. Talk us to us about your immigration story and, you know, frankly, how you how you came here, because I think that's important in that connection with other immigrants that come here. So, yes, so for me, it started um, while I was in school, I had the opportunity to to do a work and travel program. It's called during our vacations, we will come to um, the US or other countries and we will um, work and learn English and educate people around us about our own culture. And that's how it started. I, I did that program a couple of years. Um, then um, I met my husband. <laughs> so um, we had to do that transition. And it was not an easy transition. I can say, honestly, I, I love living here. I love my community, but it was hard and it was a rough couple of years for, for me. Um, even though I, I got to live in the heart of the uh, Latino community here in Milwaukee, it still felt alien to me. Um, so that's what I took the steps. Okay, I, I need to get to know this place. I need to get to know these people. And, and it did make a difference. It did make a huge difference. Now, the feeling of alienation, I don't longer feel it here, but I do feel it in my country when I go back to visit and it's a different place altogether. 
Fascinating. Siobhan, can you relate to what Bianca is saying there about that idea of alienation? Um, I definitely could. Um, the alienation part. And so in regards to, you know, how did I get here and, and the alienation piece, um, there were areas in far in regards to uh, supporting families um, that there was some alienation in regards to. So I do I do want to mention that um, when I did start off supporting and working in the classrooms, um, it was very natural for me because I did have uh, two children who did have a IEP and they were living and still are living with the mental health condition. So um, there was a bit of alienation in regards to supporting families and actually trying to get other staff on board with that, but then not having those same experiences. Um, it doesn't mean that they weren't empathetic in any kind of way um, or sympathetic, but that can definitely breed some alienation as well in um, getting other people on board to be supportive as well if they haven't had those same experiences. Does that make sense? It does. It, it totally does. And I wanted to hear it in your own words because Bianca spoke of it. She alluded to it as you did as well, because you talked about the idea of, you know, it, it's hard enough when you don't have stable housing. It's hard enough when you don't have enough food. But frankly, we know that outcomes for health for black and brown families are different and often at are worse than those for white families. And so some of this is just the embeddedness of the segregation, of the racism that that exists. And you can only see it, you can see it from afar and you can say, oh, I'm not part of that. Or you can see it up close as both of you did. Bridget, I wanna bring you in because I want you to speak into that about the role of children's in decreasing disparities and giving uh, decreasing alienation as both of these women spoke of. Yeah, so I, I, would, I would share David that um, I really saw that alienation transpire and um, become a part of the conversation. We started our community engagement work again back in about 2010. And the way that that presented in a multitude of different conversations from resident and community leaders to nonprofit organizations that were serving the community was this very evident distrust. Mm. And it was distrust in um, individuals as Siobhan mentioned that maybe didn't have or share the same experiences. It was distrust in large academic and um, healthcare institutions that really were so very well intended, but over years came into parts of our community with grants or intentions to research and really left communities with nothing after those dollars dried up, after the organizations or institutions received what they had ultimately wanted. And so frankly, the distrust was earned and we had the opportunity to do something different. Um, recognizing what not just children's, but other organizations, again, likely unintended, had um, created within and across the community, we had to come with a different level of humility. We had to come with an understanding that we needed to be taught and we needed to learn different ways in which we could partner and um, while I won't share without her permission, her name or her organization, I deeply remember in one of our communities, um, sitting in a small office space with another colleague of mine who I still adore deeply, who's no longer at Children's, but a woman who was really a change agent for a, a particular neighborhood that we work closely with, she sat there and just simply kept repeating the question to my colleague and I. And she said, why do you care? I don't mm -hmm. understand, why do you care? 
And again, she saw so many organizations come and go. She saw families in the way that both Bianca and Siobhan have experienced and have shared that they were alienated. And um, they weren't certain that this time was going to be different. And so understandably so, children's had to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. We had to prove that we were going to take a different path. We had to prove that we were going to invest meaningfully in, in alignment with the community and the residents and the priorities. And each and every day that Bianca and Siobhan have the opportunity to serve families, they take that same mentality and philosophy and concept and apply that at the family level and at the community level. Families define their priorities and their goals. Communities define their priorities and their goals, not Children's Wisconsin. And that ability to really work in partnership allows for equity for all. It allows us to raise voices and priorities that are important to communities. And it really does over time, drive, improve health and well-being. Siobhan, what made you believe what Bridget is saying when you said, okay, I'm going to work for this organization, but you know, we'll see. What really uh, drove me? Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. You know, you know, it's easy to speak a good game, especially when you come from the suburbs like myself, okay? But mm -hmm. what makes you as an individual say, okay, I'm gonna give these guys a chance? Um, well, first of all, I wanna say that uh, I have a 28 year old son who I brought to Children's um, when he was about a year old and he actually could have passed from pneumonia. So that story resonates as to why one of the reasons why I came to children's because I feel like children saved his life. Okay. So I want to put that set that platform out immediately. Mm -hmm. Children's was able to, you know, help one of my children and produce better outcomes as we're discussing. Um, but what really made me uh, to be on board is the services that we are able to offer. Number one, most of the families uh, that I've been definitely serving uh, look like me. Mm -hmm. And so most families will feel uh, comfortable with being able to be served in a with someone who maybe shares the same stories and looks like them and have those same experiences. Um, also being on board the level of of services in regards to really digging in and not just giving the family resources, but letting them know this is where you need to go and this is why Children's has captured me in regards to being extremely intentional about not just serving families, but how to serve families. Mm. The how, because Children's passion connects with the family's needs. You know, I love personal stories and, and I'm so grateful that Children's was there for your family and, and so grateful that your son is, your baby <laughs> is now 28. <laughs> uh, Bianca, I wanna ask you a similar question, but in a different slant. The idea that we want to do better for communities and families is something that is said through healthcare organizations and in, uh, institutions of higher learning all the time. Um, and Siobhan spoke of that she serves people that look like her. With your story and your understanding of the culture of the Latinx community, how does that support your work in community? Wow. Um, well, I believe that it has not only given me a greater understanding of what um, an immigrant um, person goes through. And I think I'm able to connect on, on based on, on that understanding. And just let me give you an example. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is family I work with. Um, um, they are immigrants. They are not uh, from Latin America, but they are from Asia. 
uh, the ticket, uh, they got here a few years ago. They have some food shortages. They don't know how to get to the food pantry. So we talk about, okay, let's find some clothes in the area. There is this, a few blocks from here. You can walk, um, I can show you how, how to get there. And there is these other ones that maybe can give you better options, but you will need to take the bus. Just the task of having to take the bus, you cannot imagine how daunting that can be for, for a person mm. who no longer uh, maybe doesn't speak the language, but doesn't know the area. And it's just knowing that uh, if you want them to be able to, to achieve that goal, there needs to be a lot of patience and understanding and education and maybe repeating yourself as many times as necessary, but being confident that once they have accomplished that goal, um, there's no stopping them. There's really no stopping them. And I know I've been there, you know, when I just got here and I didn't know how the bus system here work and I've gotten lost uh, on the bus and it was a scary experience because uh, I didn't know how, how to ask. I didn't know how to get off the bus. I didn't know that I have to pull these strings right here that will alert the bus driver that I needed to get off. So it's all those little things, you know, that kind of, um, that kind of um, get to our self-confidence and recognizing that and recognizing those challenges and barriers, I think that's what makes a difference to, to our work. You know, Bridget, I'm gonna put you in Mexico City and you need to get across town here. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, it'd be like, I'm like a little baby. I would be mm -hmm. rolled up in a ball, just crying. Right, absolutely. And you gotta feed your family too. You gotta go get food. Right. And it's the things we take for granted. Um, that is a really important consideration um, because we know that for the families, as Matthew Desmond says, it's more expensive to be poor and, and it costs more to be poor. Okay. I want to, oh, look at this. We didn't even get to one question yet. So this is so good. <laughs> Chiffon, tell me about navigation. I love your title, Community Health Navigator. Man, that is a cool, that is such a cool title. Can I have your title? Uh, tell me about navigation and what it means to you. Um, so navigation means that uh, we receive uh, referrals and there's specific comments on the referral that state why the family was actually referred, which is absolutely great um, to get started. And then we actually enroll the families, talk about what the program um, um, serves as and how we can better serve the families. And then that's when we start the navigation. So be actually before, David, I wanna let you know, before we even navigate, uh, once we have enrolled the families, we have an opportunity to talk about what services that they're already receiving, what services they would like, um, what vision they have for receiving those services and their goals. And we also put all that together in a tool called care mapping. And what the care mapping does, it, it we're able to put down what they're receiving, what they're obtaining to receive, and it gives the families a better overall picture of what they already have and what they need. And that's that educational piece as well. And then that's when the navigation, David, starts. Okay, say for example, a family is looking for housing. Um, is there any specific housing you're looking for? Whether it's affordable housing, whether it's low income housing. So that's when the navigation piece actually starts connecting them to those supports and educating them. And I'm just really big and I will keep mentioning educating them as well. Navigation to me is extremely important um, because it's like a hand over hand with the families. I'm gonna guide you until you are able to fly. So that's what, when you say navigation, that's what it represents to me. Ms. Bridget, you can't let this one go because her light, her, her, her face was just shining when she was telling <laughs> that, she was telling how she does that. Bridget, come on in and tell us about, I think she's being modest. 
Okay. She is being modest. I, I could I could tell. So I'm going to bring you in to say embellish a little bit. Speak of this navigation around housing and how both how challenging mm -hmm. it is and how what it means for the health of the family. Mm -hmm. Well, so thank you for noticing that she's being modest. Our, our team does so many things well, and one of those things well is to be very modest about the impact that they make. And um, they bring so much humility to their work that sometimes it's difficult to pull that out. So I'll brag a little bit for them. Um, so uh, there, there are a lot of efforts that hospitals or um, community-based organi organizations take to connect an individual or a family with a resource. There are not a lot of efforts that are underway that really focus in on empowerment. And when Siobhan mentions, you know, the emphasis on education, it's through that education that we build that capacity. And as Bianca mentioned, that confidence that a family has that will allow them to carry forward and really build an opportunity to be empowered and to ultimately be self-sufficient. I mean, we recognize that when a family is referred to any one of our team members in our community health navigation team, that they are referred because there is a need, a basic need, a social need, a need that is creating a barrier to that family's ability to reach their full health potential. And so what happens through that conversation that Shafan is mentioning is really that's where that trust that I was talking about earlier starts to establish. We intentionally hire members of our team that really are able to build relationships with families. And you know, Shafan mentioned earlier about the heart and the soul each of them bring heart and soul to each of their conversations. And this work in which families engage in, this program, if you will, um, it's voluntary. It is not required. It is not court mandated. It is an opportunity for each of the members of the team to connect with a family and to really seek out information from the family that they are willing to share in a trusted conversation and help navigate the family to those resources. But to the example that Siobhan gave, housing means something different to everyone. Mm -hmm. And housing might um, be an ultimate goal, but there may be barriers that a family is facing that make them less eligible for housing, that Siobhan and other members of the team have to really deeply understand. And they, they are, um, they are team members that have a little bit of art and a little bit of science because certainly there are elements of this conversation that they lean out information from families and build that trust and understanding. But the team also has to really be experts in the resources and the assets of our community because knowing that a family may be looking for housing and understanding what limitations they may have about um, something that could be a barrier for them they also have to understand how to navigate through the systems, mm. navigating conversations with families, navigating through community resources, and navigating through these massive systems that have built these um, complex, um, what would I call them? Uh, complex complex yeah, paths, I guess, to, to really things that are opportunities for all of us. We all want our kids to be healthy and safe. We all want a home. We all have the right to food. You know, just these things that are incredible barriers to an overall health and well-being of a child. You take into consideration that if a family has a child who's diabetic and they are, their child's diabetes is uncontrolled and constantly showing up in the emergency room as a child is trying to regulate their insulin. Well, when you dig deeper and you understand that one of the barriers to that child's health, and frankly, I would say that family's health because you can imagine how disruptive that is when a family is trying to um, manage a chronic disease like diabetes and is unable to. And you better understand that the reason or one of the reasons that that is out of control is because the family doesn't have stable housing. 
or maybe they have a home, but they've not been able to um, have consistent electricity. Well, insulin needs refrigeration. I mean, so once you peel these pieces apart, it is so blatantly obvious, especially to those of us that work in prevention and don't focus on sickness. It is so blatantly obvious that focusing on the social determinants and the overall well-being of uh, a family's health is incredibly connected to the health outcomes that we at Children's Wisconsin are working to achieve. When we say we want the kids in Wisconsin to be the healthiest kids in the nation, we mean that. And we invest in programs and services like this, knowing that it's not just about the clinical care that we provide. And Siobhan spoke to it herself. It's awesome clinical care. But at some point, it may not be enough. Well, we know it's not. And Bianca, I want another story from you, please. Thank you very much. Um, I, again, I go back to, I think if, if you put me in Mexico City or in any other country that they didn't speak English and I had to get food for my family on the bus to be like, what? How do you navigate these complex systems with where English might not be the second language or it, it might be, uh, there might have, I, I know the families that have uh, mixed immigration status and, and issues with uh, legal issues. How do you do this in these complex systems that Bridget is talking about? Wow, so I, I try to break it down as much as possible. Go to the very basis. For example, I had a family who was having issues with their food benefits. Um, English is not their first language. Um, they don't even speak Spanish. So I'm also using interpreter services and I'm trying to think, okay, um, I can make a call for them. Sure, but that's only going to solve the issue that time. I want to know how I can get them to make a call themselves if, there, if something else happens in the future. So what I'm doing is, okay, so we try to, to, to look at this as in what is the first step? They need to know the number. Then once I have previously called and kind of write down what they said on my own, I go back to them and say, okay, this is what you're gonna hear. You're gonna hear this male voice gonna be speaking in English and this is what they're saying. And once they stop talking, they want, to, they want you to select one of these numbers. This is the number that you wanna go if you wanna talk to this person regarding this, this, this topic. So you want to dial the number and then you're going to hear a female voice and it's going to be a recording as well. And then they're going to, uh, I want you to press another number. And then once you press that number, you're going to get an agent. It might take a while. Please stay. <laughs> and then once you get the agent, the first thing that you want to say is, I need a Rohingya, Rohingya interpreter, please. And then they should get you connected to the Rohingya interpreter. So it's just breaking it down to that level for that simple task um, so they can learn how to do it. I sometimes I, I will be with them when I was able to do home visits. I will be right next to them, handing the phone and kind of explain everything. And once they know how to, how to do that call, then, then they know that if they need to maybe reach a provider, make an appointment, there is a process and the process looks very similar to to that one. So going back to, to your question, um, Dr. Nelson, I think it's just breaking it down as much as possible and make it as simple as possible and repeating it as many times as necessary. Wow, I need to take a nap. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it, it, we take it for granted and I have I am overeducated and um, under and less than understanding because and I have trouble making an appointment at time, but we take it for granted that everybody has access to the system and everybody has consistent lighting and electricity. And frankly, we know that it's not true. 
You know, and in addition to that, there is the stigma that goes with inequitable societies that puts the blame on individuals when they have poor health. Uh, Stefan, how, based upon what Bianca is saying there, how do we get, how do you, with your families, get past the stigma and the blame that says, you know, you're at fault for this instead of a system that is inaccessible to them? Um, it'll definitely go back um, to um, the education piece and the stigma, because stigma is, uh, it's very, uh, let me give you an example. In regards to, I want to talk a little bit about mental health mm -hmm. and getting over the stigma in the Black community and working with families who uh, definitely would benefit from mental health services. Um, there's definitely the experiences that I've had, uh, David, uh, the families, um, it takes a bit of a while to get them on board with uh, wanting to access those services because there's a stigma definitely. And one of the stigmas uh, has been, it's for crazy people. Um, I'm, I won't be able to I don't, I don't necessarily want to see um, a therapist who is Caucasian, who doesn't look like me. Um, and then there's that trust factor because there's been so many disparities they don't trust. And so in regards to the mental health piece, there definitely, David, is a lot of work with talking to the families, coaching them, letting them know, you know, if this is a services that um, it may be beneficial to you. Would you consider thinking about it? I want to give you an example of a family that I served. Um, it took approximately eight months, David. Um, the family child needed therapy services. The social worker had reached out, um, just stating that there were some behaviors in school. And then mom said that there were some behaviors going on and definitely the kid would benefit from receiving um, therapeutic, you know, therapy services. Um, mom was not on board because of stigma in the Black community. And around that eight-month, David, just talking to the family and perfectly being honest about the experiences that I've had with my own children in mental health and what does that look like. Um, by the eighth month, mom definitely, when I reached out to do a wellness check, mom definitely told me that they have an appointment and that she is ready to start allowing that child to receive services. You know, and I can see you were very patient with me, just like you're having to be very patient with your parents. But I'm mm -hmm. also gonna, I'm gonna ask, I'm also gonna say this in that we know that, and families hear this as well, when you especially go down the mental health path, that there might get CPS involved and CPS is more involved in the black and brown communities than in the white communities and parents are fearful that they may lose their children. Mm -hmm. I, yes. I would agree, David. And, yeah, and you know, David, go ahead. Can I just, can I just interrupt for us? The, um, because Children's is so much more than a hospital and we have primary care and a social service agency and a Medicaid HMO, we have all of these elements. That statement that you just made is even more true for us because the blue kids, which I don't have my badge on, but usually it sits right here. The blue kids that are on our badge, they represent so many different things to so many different people. And Again, that's why individual team members like Siobhan and Bianca are so critical to our overall ability to build relationships with families, with individuals and with communities because their experience with children's could be very different than the one that Siobhan talked about. Yes. We may have been the agency engaged in some conversations around their overall well-being of their child the opportunity we have is really focused on that prevention and intervention. And we even received funding for some of this work from the state to do exactly what you're talking about, to keep kids and families out of that child welfare system. 
There is a there is a need, and, and I am at times hypercritical of a system I, I don't completely understand. Uh, I'm married to a physician, so I can be critical of medicine, um, and, and she knows it too. But I, I really focus on inequities that exist, and why is it that that this exists in communities of color? Bridget, I want to ask you this question, and it's it's a nuance of what you were saying there, because you 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 and I know each other pretty well. And how do we get systems to be more patient with families? Because I can tell you on the adult side, there are some systems you miss one or two appointments. I don't care if you missed your bus, you're out. And so how do we get systems to be more patient like Shifan and Bianca are speaking of? Uh, well, I guess I would say it's very much like the um, example that Shafan shared about the family that she's working with. Um, we also have to be patient and persistent uh, within our own organizations. And all three of us and many other members of our team are advocates. We really are advocating for children's and other health systems to really take a look at those policies and those practices and think deeply about the under and think deeply about those and how they apply to all families. Mm -hmm. And then also think deeply and understand the trauma that families and communities have faced. Once you start to begin to understand the trauma and you start to begin and understand the um, social determinants, Bianca talked about transportation. And if you think of a family, especially those that we serve at children's, where we're focused on kids. And oftentimes a child is not a single child in a, in a family. A mom or a dad might have additional, additional kids that they need to bring to an appointment. And you think about navigating that bus system that Bianca talked about, now take into consideration all of the things she mentioned. And oh, by the way, there are multiple siblings that are coming with the family for their appointment. And so once you really start to break all of this down and understand, and you're really driven to look for opportunities to increase health access, you have to think different. And so again, I think a lot of this comes down to many of the elements we talked today around education and understanding and humility and deep learning and asking questions. And then really taking all of that and think about how do we create systems that are equitable and ensure that a family's voice is engaged in that process. Shafan, I think I might've cut you off. No, you're, this is really good, Bridget. This is really good. I just um, wanted to add as well that um, organizations as well in the community uh, that we're serving, we could definitely benefit um, by being more intentional about being more culturally aware of the families that we serve because I definitely can't be patient with something that I don't understand. I just wanted to add that in, Bridget, yeah. you can go for it. No, that's and a great say, addition. Siobhan, say more about that intentionality. That's a word that you, you might've heard me say that, but I love that word, that intentionality. Say more about that. So it's, it's one thing to actually, you know, for providers or whatever organizations to serve families, um, and, you know, to give them the services that they need. But it's another thing to want to wanna be intentional about learning about the families um, and clients that we serve. And, and Bridget mentioned, or you, David, I'm not sure about the trauma, just learning about their culture, learning about those things, I think would make us being um, more effective and make things more equitable. It just totally. And it's not only the recognition of the trauma, that frankly, um, it's the unresolved trauma that exists. And mm. it's generational trauma that exists. Uh, Bianca, how do you think the systems can, how are we doing? And it's not a matter of being critical, but how can we, how can our systems improve, especially going from the families to the health system? What do you think needs to happen? Wow. Okay, so this, this brings me to a family, <laughs> and I'm just going to use an example. Um, I got to do my home visit in the family. Uh, they have a sick child. They are on oxygen, and they, are, um, they have a G-tube. And when I got there, 
mom is very frantic. She's concerned. She has um, that her child is, there's some issues with the G2. She doesn't know what to do. So she has tried calling, but she says that she doesn't get callbacks. And her English is not her first language. So we try to go about, you know, okay, then, then we need to call. We need to call the provider right away. And if you are really concerned, you need to take the child to the ER. And like um, um, like Brittany mentioned, taking the child to the ER when I have three other kids right here and I'm by myself and I don't drive and my husband is at work and I don't speak English. How am I supposed to do that? So I just, going from that, just, just from the fact that she felt she didn't have the access to the medical care that her child needs, I think that's, that's the main issue there. Just I don't have the access. I, I couldn't make a call because I didn't understand what they were saying. Mm. And I, I don't know how to how to navigate this city. So just the fact that there was no initial access to, to the medical service that they, they, they needed. And if I wasn't at the home visit at the time, what could have happened? I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid to, to think of that. What did happen? So we were able to um, make the calls. Um, we got connected to the nurse line and they were able to make an appointment right away. And I was talking with the nurse, isn't there a way to, how can this family um, get connected faster to the medical service? They said they provide some cards with uh, interpret, uh, interpreter line um, mm -hmm. for the families, but then there is the issue that this family doesn't know how to read as well. So it's just, just troubleshooting with these unique um, challenges that families like these face, then maybe it's not a barrier for, for a different family. Wow, that is a, that is a heart-wrenching story. And, and, it's, and it's, we're grateful that it had a good outcome, but how many of them don't? I wanna talk a little bit about this idea of this, the project that we're funded under is chronic disease prevention. And you all have mentioned this idea of, of uh, prevention, the idea of connections, but how do we think, how should we think about with children and families around chronic disease prevention like diabetes and hypertension, which are at greater risk for the black and brown community? Uh, Ms. Shafan, I wanna start with you. What are your thoughts around prevention in the black community around diabetes and hypertension? Well, no, some of the things that, uh, that uh, well, my thoughts around it is we definitely um, need to be more preventive, but I wanna say that I could say from this point from about 10 to 12 years ago, there has definitely been more improvement. We're not where we need to be, but we're definitely not where we were um, 10 to 12 years ago. There are definitely more um, workshops, for example, in regards to um, diabetes prevention, healthy eating, just around the overall health, because um, David, Bridget, and Bianca, as we know, the chronic, um, the chronic illness affects the overall mental health. It affects um, an individual being able to participate in recreational activities, um, and it definitely will affect everything if it's not good management. Mm -hmm. So I want to definitely just speak on there's more work to be done, but it's such a priority. For example, if we're working with the family, if me and Bianca are working with the family and the main goal is housing and then that um, relationships just, um, that family's feeling more comfortable with the relationship with us and they're just telling us that more things are going on and they start talking about their health and mm -hmm that is an opportunity and an open door to have that conversation about if you know they're experiencing chronic health and and maybe food comes up david and there's some food disparities that right there is an open door to talk about food nutrition possibly um, access to more healthier foods maybe us creating a goal around um healthy eating and 
maybe signing up for some community workshops on that. Um, definitely baby steps to it, but it's definitely uh, a priority in the black and brown community around type two diabetes and other chronic illnesses and what it affects and the barriers. I'm really focused on the barriers as well, so. Really good answer. Bianca, same question to you. How can we do better about chronic disease prevention in, in the Brown communities? So, um, like Chiffon said, it's about education. It's about recognizing that um, it's not only about the health of the individual, it's the health of the family, it's the well-being of the family. And this family, it's not they don't live itself in a bubble. They are part mm -hmm. of the society. So it, it matters to, to all of us, the health of this single individual. Because it, it, is a, it is like a vicious cycle. I mean, if they have a poor health, which impacts their quality of life, their access to employment, their access to basic needs, which also ends up influencing their health as well. And then this trickles down to the children and to their children's children. So it's thinking about how it goes beyond the health of this single individual as to how it impacts us as a society and how it's gonna impact our future. I, I love the connectivity. And, and Bridget, I wanna ask you this in this way. Um, Just hope that I get to answer this question too, David. <laughs> oh, okay. Are you gonna ask me a different question? Well, I really want to ask you, boy, you know what? You guys really have it over on me. Go ahead, answer the question. Okay, let me let me just let me just give a little bit of additional um, answer yeah. to the question that you asked. So I certainly support and agree with Siobhan and Bianca's uh, answer to this, that there is an opportunity to continue to be very intentional about uh, programs and education and engagement in and across our communities that represent individuals and families and communities of color. And I would say that's not quite enough. And the reason I say that is because we can program and educate to the ends of the earth. And if we don't really take a step back and look at where we can develop policies and practices that really encourage an equitable opportunity for families to improve their overall health and well-being, and that's outside of just health. That's not simply access to healthcare. It is absolutely access to healthcare. But when we think about employment, and when we think about food, and we when we think about all of these other elements, we need desperate policy changes because those policy changes will drive sustainability and will make health easier than it is today. You know, you did it better than I could ask you. So thank you for, for preempting. Pre but I want to ask you, uh, give me an example of a policy that you'd like to see enhanced or changed or added. Oh, boy. David, you're putting me on the spot here a little bit. Um, you know, I got an answer. I got an answer. I just had to think for a second. I got an answer. You know that. You know that. So. One of the things that is most challenging for our team is you've heard now for the last almost hour, this amazing work that we do. What we haven't talked about is how this work is funded. We don't have the opportunity to get reimbursement from insurance companies, Medicaid or others. We don't have the opportunity to have really any revenue other than philanthropic support. And if I had only one policy to change, because I think you kind of implied I only could do one, <laughs> I would really want us to look at an opportunity to develop a policy that really aligns payment for healthcare systems along with the science of what we've been talking about today, knowing that if clinical care is only accounting for 10 to 20%, and man, am I going to make my provider friends mad, but if the clinical care is only accounting for 10 to 20% of what is really impacting health outcomes, 
why is that the area that we predominantly get reimbursed in? And all of these other areas, we have to be very creative in funding. And um, I guess if I could only choose one policy, that would be that would be my policy of choice. You know, I get it, and uh, I think wow. your your healthcare uh, friends, and many of them are my friends too. Uh, they would cheer you on. <laughs> they they wouldn't make you mad. They would cheer you on. Because I was going to ask it this way, and what I'm hearing here, and I love that we can tease each other. This is really a good sign. Um, because you're not only taking care of children, though you take care of kiddos, as you guys like to say, but you're really taking care of families. And if mom and dad have diabetes and or hypertension, it's impacting the children. And if there's a genetic component to it or a, a social determinant component to it, that kiddo is more than likely going to grow into that child that has diabetes or hypertension. Absolutely. And so this idea of taking care of the entire family, and I think we could do a better job of it, about getting, as, as um, Chiffon said, more workshops, being aware of more of the resources, and I will make you guys aware of some of the resources that we have around diabetes self-management self-monitored blood pressure, which is actually being more and more reimbursed. I'd like to see some of that happen at the children's level. But also I've had a discussion, in fact, yesterday, or it was Tuesday with um, a uh, insurance company that is engaged in this work around social determinants. And we're looking to demonstrate some of that through some publications mm -hmm. that we're gonna work on. So yeah. actually- It we're is happening. On. Yeah. It is happening. Yeah, and, and the fact Even that- I've been in this work so long, I'm just becoming impatient. So I'm sorry if I'm starting to demonstrate a little bit. Of that. Yeah, I get it. And, you know, it's this idea that, you know, I'm working with one of your physicians on making Milwaukee a lead-free Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's for the kids because, you know, why is that still a thing when lead has been banned since 1970? And so the more we can do to both enact policies at all systems, not for the sake of saying, I gotcha or to place blame, but how do we make an environment that supports health for all kids for now and for the future generations? Mm -hmm. And David, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of thinking about this holistically. You know, the work that Chiffon and Bianca and frankly, many of our programs and services across our community health team do, we are focused on the family. And the way in which I frame it is that the child lives in, within a family and that family looks different for every child. And then they live within the community. So not only are we focused on the child and the family, but we're also focused on the community and connecting the community, building that social co cohesion and that connectedness for the community strengthens the community, reduces stress and chaos for the individual, for the family, for the community. And it really does drive well-being. Excellent. Okay, my last question. No, it's not my last question. It's my last question. Okay, you get to say, you get to pick one health practice, one personal health practice that everybody that you come into contact gets to do. What would that health practice be? Chiffon, you get to go first. Name one health practice that you want all of your families to do. The first thing that jumps out at me, David, is since I've heard uh, dealt with families and they're having, you know, this issue and, you know, I've got to get to a doctor's appointment and, you know, share that one health practice that I want families to take with them is to write down everything that's going on, to write down the questions that you have, even if it's about medication and take that with you. Because sometimes we forget when we get to the doctor's office, and then we remember after we're gone. <laughs> That's love it. So write it down. <laughs> yes. And it's it's a like I was thinking it's a good thing your names are all up on the screen because I wouldn't remember what they are. Miss Bianca, one health practice that you get you want to share with every family that you come into contact with. Um, the first thing that came to my mind is just to happen learn about some breathing exercises and a little bit of mindfulness because as life can be so chaotic, many things can be going on at the same time, uh, personal, with your family, professional. So I think just having the time 
for themselves so they can be uh, so they can feel better so they can get centered and start going um, before trying to tackle any issues. I think I think that's key. I think that's key. We we don't want them to rush into anything. We want them to to think think through and and just have a plan. But it, it all starts with you know just recognizing that you need a minute to yourself. Right on. Mindfulness, way to go. Miss Bridget, one health practice that you would share with all of your families. Well, this is kind of fun because you're getting a little insight in terms of personality and, and priority with this and um, assuming that every family would have what they would need to do this. Uh, I would wish that every family had the opportunity to cook one meal together each week. And, um, you know, that represents so much in health and wellness to me, the, the quality of the food, the access to the food, the conversations that happen around that, the skills of teaching. Um, to me, cooking a meal brings community together in a way that um, nothing else can. That's phenomenal. You know, you guys are just a ray of hope and you guys just buoy my spirits. And I'm, 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 I'm enthused about the future because of wonderful people like you and organizations like Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. Is there anything else you want to tell us at this time? I'm going to start with you, Bridget. Anything else you want to tell us at this time? Other than thank you, not, not anything comes to mind. I'm just, I'm so proud of the work that we have done across our team and across our community. And I know that families feel this work uh, when they are working very closely with individuals like Bianca and Shafan. And I am really grateful that Children's truly believes that in order for us to achieve our vision, we do have to invest in programs and services like this. Ms. Shafan King, any last words from you? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to discuss and talk about what we do and why we do it. And I'm very optimistic about the vision um, for serving families in 2021. I have a vision for families. Thank you. Ms. Mm -hmm. Bianca Cisneros, uh, last words from you, comments that you might have. Well, same. Just very thankful for having the opportunity to share about what we do. We are very passionate about um, our work and our beliefs. So um, thank you very much for having us. You are very welcome. It was all, it was all, it is my honor to speak with you. And on behalf of our listeners at Days of Learning podcast, I want to thank Bridget Clementi, Shafan King, and Bianca Cisneros for joining us today. And thank you to the listeners for listening in. Have a good day. What an amazing story. This idea that community health workers go out to the community and support the health of the families from the community context. You know, they spoke of words like partnership and engagement and the idea of understanding the challenges that families are faced as well as the assets that exist within all families. You've heard it said here before that we need to create a more equitable society and we do it through programs like the navigation programs at Children's Hospital Wisconsin. I'm indebted to uh, my partners at Children's Hospital and all the work that they do to support the health of the children. I am your host, David Nelson. Thank you for tuning in to Days of Learning podcast. Have a wonderful day and continued health and wellness to you.